Well, hey, I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. I know there's a ton of transition. Uh, for those of you from Door of Hope uh, that have come, I'm glad that you're able to come and, and be a part of the gathering today. Uh, for those of you uh, that are a part of Redeemer on the verge of transitioning uh, into the Door of Hope family, uh, I wanted to basically just take today to kind of lay out for you sort of the unique vision. And I believe that every church has its own DNA. Uh, we should have one gospel uh, that we proclaim, one Jesus Christ as King and Lord. Uh, but every church has sort of a unique makeup. And I remember when I started Door of Hope, uh, before even the very first gathering, is that I'd worked at a bunch of churches that were huge mega churches. And I realized that one of the issues is as the churches that I had worked at, that as they grew to this kind of colossal sizes, is that there was sort of a loss of identity. Uh, because when you ask a church what its mission is or what its vision is, uh, they, you know, the common answer would be like, we want to see as many people get saved as possible or come to the knowledge of Jesus. And that should be every church's mission. Uh, but what is the unique calling for us as a church, and that was the question I began to pose for myself and believed that it was essential uh, as a man who is interested in everything, how do I keep myself on, the, on, on a focused track uh, as a pastor for Door of Hope? How do I lead the church toward a particular goal, and what is the, what is the Lord leading us to as a church? And, and so before even the very first gathering, I felt that the Lord put on my heart as I spent a ton of time in prayer and in fasting. Uh, time in the scriptures, and, and God basically gave to me, and, th and this is really important for a guy that is easily distracted, uh, kind of what I call the four pillars of Door of Hope, and that is that everything we do as a church is viewed through these four pillars. There is nothing that we do that is not first gauged on how it lines up with these pillars. And the four pillars of Door of Hope are the cross, uh, which is our message, uh, community, that is our belief in, in life together, intentional life together around the person of Jesus and around the scriptures. The third pillar is simplicity, that is our philosophy of ministry uh, that protects us from both the, the dangers of legalism on one side and the dangers of transactionalism, or excuse me, uh, the dangers of idolatry on the other side. Uh, and then our fourth pillar is the pillar of the, uh, is the city, and that is where are we called to actually minister? What, where is the place that God has called us to be as an actual reconciled people, calling people into the gospel? And so what I want to talk to you about uh, today is, and for those of you who are from Door of Hope have heard us talk about the pillars on many occasions, I think it's always good to be reminded of why it is that this is, this is what God has uniquely given to us as a vision uh, as a church in the city of Portland, Oregon. Uh, I want to just begin by really defining for us, because we are living in a time uh, where there is this increasing uh, belief that it is possible to love Jesus but not love the church. And, and I think that this is a fundamentally flawed vision uh, for Christianity, because Jesus established his church as the means of bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, the church is God's number one means by which evangelism is to take place. Now, through the Jesus movement uh, and, and around that, that time in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, there was an increasing um, movement toward parachurch ministries to fulfill essentially what I would say is the responsibility of the church to, fill, uh, and as the, uh, to fulfill, and as the church did not fulfill its mission, uh, 
men and women began to get a vision, well, we've got to do something about what the church should be doing and it's not doing. I think that the answer is not parachurch ministries. I think the answer is the church returning to an apostolic vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus as a community, followers of Jesus as a community. And so I want to define for you, because we're living in a time where people are, are taking, uh, coming together as a community of faith uh, less and less seriously. Attendance is dropping uh, in, in the church in America uh, rapidly. Uh, there, there is an increased skepticism about why it is that we need to gather together. And, and I want to just give you four reasons why the church matters before we jump into the, into the pillars. The first reason is this, is that the church is a community that proclaims the lordship of Jesus and the hope of the coming kingdom. I think that this is very important for us to understand, that we gather together to proclaim the lordship of Christ and to declare uh, the hope of the coming kingdom. Uh, the second reason that church matters is that the church is a community. Uh, the church is a community who is around Jesus and who Jesus sees all around himself. I think that's really important. When two or more gather in my name, what did Jesus say? I am there in the midst of them. There is a, there is a unique manifestation of God's presence when God's people come together around the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why the church matters. Uh, the third reason that church matters is that the church is a community whose one goal is the kingdom of God, is the gospel. Uh, and proclamation, evangelism, begins by our love for one another. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Evangelism begins right here in this place. As a community of faith gathered around the gospel, uh, it is the power of God's people loving Jesus and loving one another that actually becomes the means by which Jesus is lifted up and draws others to himself. And I think that that's super essential. And then the fourth reason that church matters is that the church is a community, and it is uniquely a community that exists under Jesus for the world. It's really fascinating that we are a community that exists for the good of those that actually want nothing to do with Christ. Isn't that fascinating? That we proclaim a gospel that says that Jesus died, uh, died for all people. That we believe that Jesus died uh, for, for the victim and the victimizer. We are a community that exists for those outside of our community. Uh, and this is why we need one another, because it's difficult to bring the gospel into a hostile place. Uh, and this is why we need one another. So with those four realities, a, a church is a community that proclaims the lordship of Jesus and the hope of the coming kingdom. A church is a community that gathers around Jesus and who Jesus sees all around himself. The church is a community whose one goal is the kingdom of God. And the church is a community that exists under Jesus for the world because God is for the world, then, then how do we fulfill that, those, those callings upon our lives as a community? And this is where the pillars uh, for me and I believe for our community uh, begin to take shape. So I want to look at the four pillars in terms of four movements. And the first movement is that upward movement and is essential. It is the center. When I was here and preached um, about a month and a half ago, I, I gave to you guys a, a message entitled The Need for a Center, and I spoke to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. Those four words that wield absolute authority for God's people. And I want you to understand that for us at Door of Hope, 
Our first commitment and first priority, the very thing that anchors everything else is our absolute commitment to the cross, uh, to the centrality of the cross in the Christian life. We believe that the crucifixion is the touchstone of Christian authenticity. Uh, And actually, what we're seeing today is that there is a movement within the church uh, to place its emphasis upon creation, upon incarnation, upon spirituality. But I would argue that if those things are detached from the centrality of the cross, from the crucifixion, they actually become devoid of meaning. To take the cross out out of Christianity is to drain Christianity of its blood. The reason that we put the cross as our first movement, that movement upward, and this is why uh, as, as Door of Hope, we believe that we are not preaching unless we are preaching the gospel of Christ, uh, that we're not actually preaching unless we're talking about King Jesus. And to keep that center is, is central to everything that we do. And there's a reason why. Uh, why the cross? People often ask this, uh, why is the cross your, the, the central pillar for you guys? Why is it the first one? And I would argue that, first of all, it is the first pillar and the center of all that we do because it is a revelation, for it teaches us what God is like. There is no God behind the back of Jesus. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We're told in Hebrews 1 that God has spoken at various times in various ways through the prophets and through the scriptures, but in these last days, he has literally spoken to us in Son. In other words, Jesus is the final word of the Father. He has nothing else to say uh, that he has not already said and is continuing to say in the person of his Son. And I think that this is so important for us to understand as a church, that that no matter what church you're a part of, if Jesus isn't the central, the central note, the start and the beginning of every message, then you are, you are in the wrong place. Uh, and I think that this is what it means to be a church. We are gathered around Jesus. We are people that are gathered around him and that he sees around himself. He is the final word. He is the revelation. If we want to know what God is like, we look to the Son. Why do you say, Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, show us the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I think that that's really important. So when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, what is he revealing about the Father? That the Father is one who forgives. It's the Father's heart to forgive. He's not getting in the way of an angry dad. (laughs) For the whole God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in, in mankind's atonement, redemption, And I think that this is super important. Remember, the gospel is God's movement of grace toward us in Jesus. The Son of God became man for our good, lived as a man for our good, died as a man for our good, and rose from the grave as a man for our good. So Jesus on the cross is the love, the compassion, the righteousness, the judgment, the mercy of God literally become event. It's the love, the mercy, the judgment, the righteousness of God as an event. (laughs) That's what the cross is for us. Number two, not only is it a revelation of what God is like, but it's the reason it's so central for us is because in it is our reconciliation for through Jesus, our relationship with the Father has been healed. Now there's 
there has been through all of church history this ongoing debate among theologians. Did the cross change something in God toward us or did it change something in us toward God? And I can't speak of what changes in God. God himself is a mystery, but I can say it changed our relationship to him. Because what I can see in Scripture is not this picture that was often painted for me when I first came to faith, which is that the fall took place in the garden and God in anger turned his back on man and man in, in, in sin turned his back on God and, and we had to wait for someone to come and bring the two parties back together. That's not what we actually see in the Scriptures. What we see is that the first person walking in the garden while humanity is hiding is God saying, where are you? A God who pursues humanity into the very depths of their sin. And this is portrayed for us and proclaimed for us in the person of Jesus. It's fulfilled for us in Jesus. One of the most mysterious verses is that, that incredible proclamation in Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That God did not just enter into our humanity in Christ, but he actually entered into our lowest point, our sin. When Jesus was baptized, he said, what was he baptized into? He was baptized into a baptism of repentance. Did Jesus need to repent of anything? No. But what was he doing in that moment? When John said, I, I'm not going to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. What was, what was Jesus? He said, let it be done that all righteousness might be fulfilled. What did he mean by that? And the moment he was baptized... Why did the heavens open up and the voice of the Father declare, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descend upon his head uh, like a dove? What, what was going on there? What was the Father declaring he was pleased with? What the Father was pleased with was his Son's identification with human sinfulness. It's profound. Kind of should blow your mind, actually. It's our reconciliation. We have to remember that the whole human life of Jesus is one of saving significance. From the moment that the Son of God became a man, he began to pay for the price of our liberation. His life culminated in him taking our judgment upon himself on the cross. This is why I always refer to Jesus as both the judge and the judged in our place. It's powerful, it's profound. So the cross is our first pillar, not only because it reveals to us a revelation of what God is like and gives to us a picture of our reconciliation, the fact that we have now been made right with God. He has changed our relationship to himself. But third, it's a revelation of our liberation. It is our liberation for Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience that we could not and died under the judgment that we deserve. And all of this he did that through his resurrection and ascension, he might set us free. And this is why I always say the cross is first and foremost because we can't talk about resurrection unless first we talk about death. There's no need for resurrection unless someone died. And so the powerful reality of the cross informs everything we do at Door of Hope. This is our first pillar. This is our first movement. It is the upward movement. The second pillar is our outward movement, and that is the pillar of community. Uh, now, I had come from churches that put all of its emphasis on Sunday gatherings and the preaching of the Word. Uh, and, and, and because of that emphasis, uh, the church community life uh, found its existence primarily in just coming together on Sundays, and that was about it. I actually, before Door of Hope, had never been a part of a church that had community groups. Uh, in fact, uh, our community life was 
you just come on Sunday. That's what you do, did. And that was sort of a mega church mentality that was built around what I call cult of personality ministry. Uh, now, I, I, I have my views on cult of personality. I think that it's an inevitability that God has, God has throughout history raised up uh, men and women to lead uh, and that people follow people. There's just, it's inevitability. Uh, the responsibility uh, is not to worry about whether or not people, we need as leaders, uh, if, we're gonna, if you're going to be a church planter, you better hope that people follow you. But you also better hope that the moment they begin to follow you, that you're redirecting their attention to King Jesus. <laughs> and so I believe one of the greatest safeguards against cult of personality is to recognize that the whole church has significance in bringing God's kingdom to earth. And one of the ways that that significance is played out is actually in our commitment to one another as a community. Why is community so necessary? Why is it so essential? Uh, and I think this is an important question because we live uh, in a culture, in a society, uh, Western society, especially American culture, um, prides itself in its individualization. It prides, it prides itself in its privatization of life. Um, after World War II, I don't know if you guys even noticed, architecture uh, reveals uh, the, the philosophical movements of, of the individualization of society. If you look at homes built in 1900, the homes around this neighborhood, what is the thing that you see in the front of every house? A porch. After World War II and the rise of, of mid-century modern, uh, do you guys notice the difference of the architecture? If you kind of move out into the suburbs as houses get a little newer, if you move to the 60s, do you, know, do you notice that the front of the house actually has no windows? Uh, the whole idea was that all the glass, all the windows would be faced to the backyard where it was private. In fact, the front of the house looks like a fortress usually. If you look at any of those mid-century, they're, they're so ugly on the front. And then all the beauties on the inside and, and out toward the back where, where your neighbors can't bother you. This is a shift, actually, in American culture. One of the sad things about the Jesus movement, which I believe is actually the last great revival in, in world history, uh, and, and I'm waiting for ours, uh, but one of, the, one, of the, one of the downfalls is that it corrected a lot of things, but it left some things untouched. And the privatization and the individualization of life uh, was left relatively untouched uh, by the Jesus movement. Not, that's not true everywhere. There was, there was a lot of movements back toward uh, communal living. Uh, one of the reasons I love Portland is Portland, um, even in its most pagan uh, form, loves community. Uh, one of the reasons that Darcy and I, uh, we met in inner, in inner Southeast Portland, and my wife is like a true Portland bohemian like of the, of the old school bohemian Portlander. Uh, and and we, we just naturally, like, it's actually easy to, to put forth a Christian ethic because it's kind of already how people live. People like to live life together. It's one of the reasons that I have a heart for urban ministries because people that live in urban centers actually like the close proximity to others. And a lot of us were like, ah, I want to move out into the country where I don't have to see my neighbor. Uh, I actually believe that that's counterintuitive to the gospel. Uh, and, and so what, what I want us to see is that the reason that community is so necessary is, first of all, remember this, that the essence of the gospel, the essence of the gospel is the restoration of relationship. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? We think of the, being made in the image of God as the ability to think, feel, and will. That is not, I would argue, what is meant when it says, let us make man in our image. What I believe is meant, let us make man in our image, is let us make man like we are, which is relational. God is a community within himself. 
And what was the thing that was destroyed through sin? Relationship. A destruction of relationship between God and man, a, a destruction in relationship between, between one another, and ultimately a destruction in our ability to understand who we are. We became the greatest enigma to ourselves. The loss of relationship in three directions is the outcome of sin. So what then would be the restoration of the gospel? Would be a restoration of right relationship, a right relationship with God, which then leads to right relationship with others, which then and only then can we have a right relationship with ourselves. Now, our society is all about discovering a right relationship to yourself, and this is why there's millions and millions of self-help books that don't help anyone. Uh, and so what we need to understand is that only the gospel can truly correct relationships. And what we have to understand is that a commitment to community is a commitment to playing out the restoration of right relationship. So number one, we're made in the image of God who is a community within himself. It's not good that man should be alone. That is not simply a statement about marriage. That's a statement about human existence. An alleged humanity that is not co-humanity is inhumanity. The certainty of our being is being with others. And I think that this is so essential that we understand this because I even naturally, this is one of them, I always say this, never trust a pastor, a preacher that isolates himself. It's common. We all do it. Uh, and, and I think that, that I have to consistently fight against the tendency to isolate myself, to take Acts chapter 6. It's not good that we serve tables. We need to pray and study God's word. That's not a bad thing in and of itself, but it's a bad thing when it's abused to the point where I'm going to pray and study the word so I don't have to be with people. Uh, and many of our great preachers are often raging introverts. We can't use our natural temperament as an excuse for being alone because it's not good that man be alone. Jesus would get alone with the Father, but what would happen when the crowds would follow him and interrupt, disrupt his alone time? Did he send him away? I, it's, I need to pray and study. No. He said he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. In fact, you rarely see Jesus alone. He's primarily with others. He's primarily living his life with others, pouring himself out for others. And I think that he is the model of how it is that we ought to live. The church cannot be the church until we as individuals move from existing for ourselves in order and truly exist for the good of others. We are not born into a vacuum. We are born again into a family. And that is so important. And the bummer about the family is you don't get to pick the members. So welcome, Redeemer. <laughs> You're like, I can't. This guy's got a gold tooth and covered in tattoos. I can't do it. You know what? I'm a person too. I deserve your love just like you deserve mine. <laughs> uh, the second reason that, that I, I believe uh, that community is so important is the validity of the gospel in our lives is evidenced by the way that we as a community work together. This is why Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. In fact, I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity. If you haven't yet, all summer long, Door of Hope does this thing, Church in the Park. And one of the things that I, as a as a, a, a lover of, of uh, revivals throughout church history, one thing that you see, you'll never see a revival in church history that doesn't have open-air preaching as a component of it. And what I realize is the power of open-air preaching is not me going out into a park by myself and yelling at the pagans. Uh, I think actually the most powerful proclamation in public is when a community of faith together comes and actually just brings what we do into the, into the open. And it, what it does, and it, it's worked every year, is that people just come over and sit with us. Because when people in Portland see a bunch of people that look like themselves 
with Bibles, singing worship songs in a park like Colonel Summers, there's something powerful about it. There's something palatable because people long for relationships. They long to be known and they long to know. And what we are offering to them is the key by which they can actually have right relationships once again. And so I believe that this community, this life together, when we together, I believe it's not just simply the responsibility of the preacher to preach, but we preach Christ crucified. That is the entire community together declares the goodness of Jesus and the gospel. This is why Martin Lloyd-Jones says evangelism actually occurs when the entire community of faith proclaims the gospel by coming together in agreement around the centrality of the scriptures in the person of Jesus. Third, it's the primary way in which we as followers of Jesus move toward maturity. I think that the best way to grow as a Christian is to grow with others. And the most stunted growth I've ever experienced is when Christians try to isolate themselves from others. When Christians come in and they sit on the fringes, uh, and believe me, I did it. My slowest growth was actually my first year of faith because I was, I was leery. I got saved on my, kind of through just the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. I got saved in my apartment reading my Bible and reading through the gospels, and I became convinced that Jesus was everything that he said he was. And I can't tell you how that worked because it's a mystery, because salvation's a mystery. It's a miracle. Uh, and I, I gave my life to Jesus on, on my apartment floor after reading through the gospel of Matthew, realizing I could never live the life that he demanded, and it just this light bulb went on. Oh, that's why he lived that life for me. That's why he had to die. And so I put my trust in a gospel I didn't even fully comprehend, just understood enough uh, to get out of hell into heaven, but that's not the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is to get God out of heaven back into the hearts of man and men and women that we might actually become a reflection of the living Christ by the way that we live together. And so the first year, I sat in the back. I couldn't stand the worship music, and I was freaked out by the community because it seemed like everybody knew each other, and that seemed dangerous. And so I would just, I would show up for the sermon, sit in the back row, and then leave right when it was done until finally the pastor had spotted me multiple weeks coming in and out and, and insisted that I have coffee with him. Uh, and my wife wasn't a believer yet. And I just remember it was when I actually opened myself up to the community that I began to truly grow. When I began to have others say, hey, have you thought about this? And, and I was able to discuss my doubts because all of us, the truest prayer in the Bible is I believe, help my unbelief. And this is why we need one another, because we're all at different stages. We grow by being together. I was at Tim's uh, community group uh, two weeks ago, and uh, one of the women from Redeemer uh, named Nicole, she used to go to Door of Hope uh, and I, when it first started. And she said, I loved your preaching, but man, the community was just a bunch of young people that were always getting wasted. And I said, that's why we need one another. <laughs> and it was like, because when Door of Hope started, it was like, you don't just get people, if there's no Christians in the urban core, the only thing you can do is go out and preach the gospel and hope they get saved. But when they get saved, they have to grow. And they don't start off mature. And this is why we need one another, because we all come from different places and have the ability to speak the truth into one another's lives. And then we become like iron sharpening iron, growing into maturity. And this is why we believe that community is so important. This is why we put such an emphasis on community groups. We don't have formal membership at Door of Hope. 
uh, not because we have anything against membership. Uh, it's purely, uh, probably more than anything, is that nobody on staff wants to take on the daunting responsibility of trying to run a thousand people through, through membership, because uh, I didn't ever even think about it uh, until we were too big to think about it. Uh, but one of the ways that we actually gauge people being truly committed to the church is that we think that the next step of natural involvement is to be in a community group. And so that's a huge part. And you guys will be joining on the 19th. We'll be doing a short series on community to prepare um, from our, uh, for the launch of fall community groups. We take the summer off of community groups just to give our leaders a, a break and uh, so that we can focus on church in the park and book clubs. Uh, and then we, we launch again in September and they go all the way through June. Uh, but this is an important part of who we are. Uh, and so I would just say this, a commitment to community means that we are called to love people and add value to them every day. That's what that means. And this is why it's our second pillar. The third pillar is the pillar that often creates the most confusion, but it really isn't meant to create confusion, and it's the pillar of simplicity. Um, I had dinner with Tim Keller when I started Door of Hope, and he said, the pillar that took you the longest to explain was simplicity. And he goes, and simplicity will be the hardest one to keep when the church grows and gets more complex. But I think that what for me, as I begin to, to kind of fine tune what I mean by simplicity, simplicity doesn't mean that we just don't do a lot of things. Uh, simplicity really is a philosophy of ministry that actually protects us, I believe, from, on one side from transactionalism or legalism and on the other side from idolatry. Uh, it's more of a philosophy of living uh, that's wrapped up in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1.12 when he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. In other words, we've kept the main thing the main thing. And the reason that we need simplicity um, is it keeps us from idolatry on one side and legalism on the other. Think about idolatry. Why do we need simplicity as a pillar in the church? Well, I could say this, that this pillar is about release from the emptiness of a culture and society that continues to feed us the great lies that we are the centers of our own universe and that more is more. As David Foster Wallace uh, said in his final speech before he took his own life, uh, he said, everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realest, most vivid, and important person in existence. And I think that that is the most honest statement that a man could make in a speech. And he doesn't say that in a positive light. In fact, he saw, even as a non-Christian, the problem with self-worship and the, and the temptation of idolatry and he says, with hearts that are deceived in a society that pushes us deeper into deception, it's no surprise that we struggle so much with idolatry. Listen to what Wallace says in, in this speech. He says, we worship these things. If we worship money and things, if they are what you tap your real meaning in life, you will never have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die one million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power and you will feel weak and afraid. Worship your intellect, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Simplicity protects us from the idolatry that the world constantly puts forth. This is why Calvin himself said that the human heart is an idol factory. You pull up one and it just reveals another one. Uh, and this is why we have to continually re-energize ourselves by placing our focus on the, on the center, on Jesus. Simplicity is about keeping the main thing the main thing. It also protects us from one side, the idolatry uh, and the cultural lure that's all around us in Portland, but the other side is it protects us from the legalism that creeps up within the church. 
Simplicity protects us from what I like to call transactionalism. And, and I think I was reading this to my wife this morning as I was talking with her about the, the message. Um, the, and I gave a message last week at Door of Hope on this very issue of how we often as Christians are plagued with a constant sense of shame and guilt because we believe that there is something in us that is capable of actually pleasing God. And, it, and, and it's, a, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. But I, I think if I could just say it this, this simply, simplicity keeps us from believing the lie that if the perfect law of God cannot save us, neither can the laws that we create for ourselves. Uh, and I think that this is why we need to understand the only free forgiveness of Christ saves. Simplicity is about keeping the main thing the main thing. So that's our third pillar. And then our fourth and our final pillar is this, and it's our fourth movement, and it's a forward movement. And that's the pillar of the city. Tim Keller often use, utilizes uh, in his commitment uh, to planting churches in urban environments, he often uses that verse from Jeremiah 29, 7, but seek the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its peace you will find your peace. And I think that this is important. John Perkins, uh, great African-American Christian thinker uh, in regards to bringing reconciliation into the heart of urban centers, said that we cannot expect there to be reconciliation in a neighborhood if there are not first reconciled people living there. And I think that the continued commitment to to reaching the city of Portland. Portland has continued to be uh, given that title of being one of the most unchurched cities in the United States. And as I said before when I was here, and there was a lot of questions I know that arose within the Redeemer crowd for those of you that live out, maybe outside of the city and commute in for church, uh, this is not to make you feel bad, uh, nor is it to make you go away. Uh, and it, what all we're saying is that God gave us a unique call to reach a, a unique city, and our hope is that we can change the title of unchurched to actually saved, redeemed, reconciled. And in order to bring reconciliation into a city, you need to have a reconciled people living there, being, an, uh, being representatives of the gospel. We don't want to just be renters of a church building in a, in a neighborhood like this. We want to be a witness to the gospel to this neighbor. Don't you want to see revival in, in bohemian, pagan, southeast Portland? I live less than a half mile from this, from this building here, and it is my desire. My, my son is 16 years old and still does not have a single Christian friend at his school. That is problematic. We have committed. We have, we have actually... We have, we have sacrificed much to live in this city. We've sacrificed much for our kids. They have had no Christian peers because we believe that God has called us to this place because we want to see the gospel bring transformation to the lives of those around us. And, and the more people, what Door of Hope kind of focused on in those early days is we saw this massive uh, influx in the beginning of, of nominal uh, millennials, nominal Christian millennials, kids that had walked away from their faith and moved into the city and then got disenchanted with the city and then kind of found their way back to church. And the powerful thing, I even prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, Lord, bring me all the really crappy Christians. And he was so faithful. And, and the reason uh, that I prayed that prayer is because they were the ones that had all the non-believing friends. 
And, all the, and they started bringing their, as they, as they rediscovered a love for Jesus, they started inviting their friends to come and come and see. That's like what you see in, in the first two chapters of John is come and see, come and hear about the one. And that sort of invitation uh, that, was, that came out of proximity, out of excitement, out of a, out of, out of a desire to see a, a revival within this city. And we want to continue to have that commitment. And I think that God has moved in our city through the witness of both the community of Redeemer as well as the community of Door of Hope. But it is an instant death. And I just want to say this to those of you that are from Redeemer. It is an instant death to hold to past graces. Uh, and when you've gone through the trauma that you've gone through, from the collapse of Mars Hill to then the, the challenges that you guys have been faced with over the last nine months, what it can create is a very close bond as a community, but it also can create a fear of opening yourself up, to, up, up again. And I just want to call you out of that. That door of hope, we are ready to embrace you with loving arms, to invite you to be a part of our family, to invite you to be a part of the vision. We want to see God rock the city with the gospel. We want to see people saved. We want to preach Christ and him crucified. We want to see vibrant life together. We want to simplify our lives so that the one thing that really matters flourishes in and through our hearts and our minds and through our speech and through our actions and through our deeds. We want to be a people that sees revival in this city. And, and we are so excited uh, to do this together with you. That though Redeemer might, the name might be dying, the community is becoming something new. And what does it say in the scriptures? If anyone be in Christ, all, thing are, all things are what? New. That isn't like a once- new thing. It's a daily newness that is, that is available to us as we daily lay our lives down at his feet that he might be exalted in everything that we do. And so these are the things that shape us as a, as a community. Um, these are the things that we are excited to invite those of you who are from Redeemer into. Um, I, just so you guys know the kind of the vision, uh, if you guys, as you guys join us on the 19th, uh, and those of you who are from Door of Hope, as you look around this beautiful building, we have a heart. We restored a beautiful building in Northeast um, about four years ago. That building uh, was not a big enough facility to handle um, all of Door of Hope. We were having to do five services uh, to accommodate, which is just a lot. And if you preach five times, by the fifth time, you don't even believe what you're saying anymore, nor do you want to see another human being for three days. So it kind of destroyed two of my pillars uh, right out of the gate. Uh, what we are committed to is not, we don't want to build a ministry around my personality or any person's personality for that matter. What we want to see is a community built around common values, a desire to see the gospel go forth, which we believe that the way to do that is through multi-congregational or what I should say is independent church plants with shared values. So there may be multiple churches called Door of Hope, but they will have their own leadership, their own eldership. And our goal is, is to renovate this building, to take it to the next level so that it can accommodate all our children, move out of, out of Revolution Hall into this building, hopefully in January, and then plant another community, Door of Hope community, into the Northeast building, hopefully within the next year, year and a half. And so this is, and then we want to do it again until we see this city filled with reconciled communities of faith that are, that are witnessing to the gospel throughout the city of Portland and then hopefully even beyond Portland. Uh, so that's the goal, that's the vision, uh, and I'm excited to invite you guys into that vision, and I believe that you as a community here at Redeemer coming into Door of Hope have much to offer 
And I hope that we have uh, much to offer you as well, that together we can do more uh, than we can do apart. Uh, So this is the word of the Lord. May Jesus Christ be exalted uh, in everything that we do. May we be a church that is built upon a commitment to the gospel, upon a commitment to one another in community and life together, upon a commitment to keeping the main thing the main thing, and a commitment to see the gospel go forth into the city of Portland, that we might change the title of unchurched to redeemed, to a a city that is awakened with the gospel. Uh, So, so glad you guys could be here today. Love you guys. Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the power of the gospel. We do pray right now that you would just inflame our hearts with a vision for you, with a vision uh, for this city, with a vision for one another. Lord, may you, may you still our hearts and our minds. And right now, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us. Lord, we know that when we ask you to fill us, we're not asking for more of the Spirit because we have all of, the, all of you that we will ever have, but to be filled is for you to have more of us. And so we just want to yield to you. Holy Spirit, we know that you are a missionary spirit that points the world to Jesus. And so we want to be yielded to you that as we lift up the name of Jesus, that you will continue to draw people to yourself. Lord, we desire to see a radical awakening in our city. And I pray, Lord, that as Redeemer joins Door of Hope, that there would be healing over that community, that there would be excitement and enthusiasm, that there would just be a sense of familiarity, of family. Uh, I, I pray that there would be an excitement around a vision to see the gospel go forth And Lord, we just pray for just an incredible harvest. Lord, you said the harvest, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. May we be, uh, may we be committed to participating uh, as conduits of your kingdom by the power of your Spirit to bring that harvest in. Only you save. We're just simply called to be witnesses. May we be faithful to that witness. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus. And all of God's people said. Amen.